0: Welcome to Fintech Brews and News, brought to you by Central Payments and Falls Fintech. I'm Nikki Rohde. And I'm Trent Sorby. Founders, co-founders, payments professionals, and well, just people who love brews. This is a place to get a behind the scenes look at unique partnerships and ways to bridge the financial gap between banking, startups, and the entire fintech industry. Whether it's a beer, Or coffee, or something else, there's certain to be a brew in every episode. After all, how do we function in this space without it? Each episode, you're sure to take away some good stuff going on in the financial technology space. So without further ado, let's grab a brew. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of FinTech Brews and News. I'm Nikki Rohde here with a very special guest, Elizabeth McCluskey. Um, She is taking us through our continuation of the Women in FinTech series. And so, Elizabeth, thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Uh, Well, we have interviewed a a ton of remarkable women in fintech, and you're our first one in the venture capital space. So why don't you take us through a quick introduction of what you're up to, uh, who you work for, and and then we'll go from there.
1: That sounds good. And hopefully I won't be the last uh, female venture capitalist, but I'm honored to be the first that's on the the podcast. So I've been in financial services for my whole career, Um, I started in investment banking and then wealth management, and I've been in venture capital for about the last seven years. And I'm currently the head of the Discovery Fund, which is part of CMFG Ventures, which is the corporate venture capital arm of a company called CUNA Mutual Group. So that's a lot of layers, but just to break it down, um, CUNA Mutual Group is an insurance and financial services provider that's been around for about 90 years. It's based in Madison, Wisconsin and primarily serves the credit union ecosystem, which if your listeners are not familiar, you know, has been around for a long time and is an integral part of the financial services landscape in the U.S. There's about um, 5,000 credit unions in the U.S. who serve almost 130 million Americans. So the overall mission of our ventures arm is to invest in fintechs who can support credit unions in their efforts to better serve members with affordable and accessible financial services and products. That's amazing and,
0: and touches a lot of consumers. And something that's interesting to me, I'm glad you called out the credit union bit, because there's always this conversation about how banks can, quote, play with fintech or how banks become more fintech minded and friendly. But there's a ton of traction in the credit union space. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. And I think credit unions, you know, historically, they were brick and mortar institutions who were very much embedded in the communities that they served. But particularly with COVID and everything needing to happen remotely and digitally, credit unions have kind of quickly realized and adapted to the reality that they need to integrate technology into their offerings, whether that's kind of consumer interfaces, you know, end to end digital experiences and so they have embraced a lot of the companies that we've invested in and, and tried to kind of form partnerships with um, as parts of their strategy moving forward.
0: You bet. You bet. Um, talk a little bit about um, the the background um, of the Discovery Fund and maybe your thesis.
1: Yeah. So like I said, Ventures has been around um, for about seven years, which focuses on Series A and later stage companies kind of broadly in this fintech credit union ecosystem intersection. The Discovery Fund um, sort of narrows that thesis a bit more. We focus primarily on pre-seed and seed stage fintech companies, and we are looking at underrepresented founders. So we're investing in companies who have a woman BIPOC or LGBTQ uh, CEO at the helm. And that's part of our effort to try to reduce the inequity in the venture capital funding ecosystem, where I'm sure you know, everybody has heard these statistics bandied about, but unfortunately they haven't gotten any better. So I think we have to keep repeating them just to keep people aware that the reality is less than 3% of venture capital funding goes to black and Latino um, entrepreneurs, as well as women entrepreneurs. And I think the statistics are even more difficult to track down for LGBTQ entrepreneurs, but it's typically thought to be less than 1%. So those numbers are nowhere near the proportion of demographic representation they have in the US. And so we're trying to do our part to close that gap. The other part of our thesis is that we're investing in solutions for financial inclusion. So we're looking for companies that are promoting affordability and accessibility of financial services, particularly to underserved communities. And so we think there's a really nice synergy between the entrepreneurs we're talking about and the solutions we're looking for. Because we believe entrepreneurs who have experienced the problems they're trying, trying to solve are those who are best positioned to actually build those solutions, be committed to those companies. And so we think you know entrepreneurs who come from underserved communities are often the ones best placed to, to build those solutions. Yeah, that's really
0: powerful. And you hit on so many good statistics that is 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 really remarkable. Uh, how did you land on narrowing in on that? Was it, what, did you drive that as a woman yourself, or how did you get to a point where you decided this fund has to be dedicated to that demographic?
1: I think a lot of the work was done prior to my joining. So I joined specifically to lead this strategy, but it was already kind of, the, the infrastructure was in place prior to my joining. But I think it was part of really a company-wide kind of effort and discussion to have our values reflected throughout the company. So we've been pretty active in diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in terms of our employee um, you know, initiatives. And then we've also actually done a lot of work with the credit unions we serve to help them think about DEI when it comes to their employees and serving their members. And so the natural kind of extension of that was how can we focus our investment strategy to incorporate those values as well.
0: You said you were d- kind of doing your part. I'm wondering, as you invest more time and energy into paying attention to the statistics on, you know, the BIPOC, the LGBTQ women, what do you think the future looks like? Um, are we seeing trends in the right direction for more, more inclusion and, and diversity?
1: I think there's been some really promising headlines around new funds being established that are either led by underrepresented venture capitalists or that are focusing on underrepresented founders. Um, But I think when you look at the industry wide numbers, the statistics haven't moved meaningfully in the past couple of years. I think part of that can be explained by, you know, if you kind of make the analogy to sales cycles and especially with enterprise deals, you know, sales cycles can be up to a couple of years long. And I think in venture capital, our kind of sales cycle is very long. So, you know, it can take five to seven years, if not longer for those earliest stage companies to actually become successful and potentially achieve exit. So I think we have a lot of really great kind of seeds that are being planted over the past couple of years with some of these new funds and strategies focused on underrepresented founders. But I think it's probably going to take another couple of years to start to see some of those really big successful exit stories. And I think once we start to get that flywheel effect of those success stories, there's going to continue to be more money moving into underrepresented founders. But I think it's been slower than I would have hoped um, to see those numbers move meaningfully.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and we have a mutual um, partner, Fritch, actually came out of Falls Fintech, and um, that's an investment that you guys recently made. Would you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so this is a great company. Um, again, I think speaks to the power of relationship building in this space. You know, we have a relationship with your accelerator as we do with many other early stage Fintech programs who are kind of working with those earliest stage companies. Um, they are a social finance platform targeted at Gen Z. So Gen Z, you know, is really coming into a tough, tough market and kind of a tough era. Um, They're saddled with a ton of student debt. They don't have a lot of financial literacy. They're afraid of using credit. So they're heavily kind of relying on debit cards. And they just, you know, they need some support, but they have grown up in an era of social media and a lot of things being sort of more public or community oriented than perhaps previous generations were comfortable with. And so Fritch is taking that idea of kind of leveraging the power of your community and your peers to help you become more confident and educated about your finances. So they have features around, um, you know, like budget challenges you can do with your friends and community benchmarking where you can compare yourself to peers at other um universities or other people who are in your geographical area to see, you know, how am I doing relative to other 21-year-olds when it comes to spending on Ubers or bars and restaurants? Um, and how can I think about directing some of my savings goals towards longer term events, like, you know, putting down a security deposit on my first apartment or saving for a vacation. Um, so That company is led by two really fantastic female founders who themselves are part of Gen Z. So again, I think speaking to my previous comment that we want to see entrepreneurs who are embracing solutions that would actually apply to them. Um, They've just been fantastic with kind of taking their idea and running with it, leveraging some of the introductions and connections we've made on their behalf. So we're very excited to see how, how that one turns out. But They've really grown a tremendous amount in the short time we've been connected with them in terms of um, getting a ton of users from college campuses across the country. They've done just such a fantastic job,
0: um, I I think, on their college campuses, all the ambassadors that they use, um, and even playing in the the merch space and really seeming to grab onto everything it
1: takes to uh, attract customers. Well, yeah, and I think... You know, bad habits are easily formed and hard to break, and so I think the younger we can engage with people as they're kind of entering their own financial maturity and their financial journeys, um, kind of the better we can set these populations up for success for the entirety of their lifetime. And you know, understanding the the power of things like compound interest, which can work to your benefit if you're saving, and obviously can work against you if you have credit card debt or things like that. So, think. Kind of engaging with Gen Z where they are, like meeting them on college campuses, tying it into this kind of fun brand is a great way to make people feel like it's, you know, something that their friends are doing. It's not something that's boring that they have to study in a textbook. So it gets them engaged, but really has a powerful kind of underlying uh, education component.
0: So, Elizabeth, you have talked a lot about the the different activities that you all are doing and how the trends are moving not as quickly as we would like to do you have any other thoughts for anybody who's listening on what else can we as an industry do to uh, make access to funds easier for these underrepresented founders
1: yeah i think the the answer or at least my version of the answer lies with vcs themselves i think um you know we still have a very undiverse profession and so venture capitalists who are already in kind of positions of decision-making authority need to make a concerted effort to recruit, to hire, and to promote more women, more people of color, more LGBTQ individuals, people who don't come from, you know, Ivy League backgrounds or, you know, are named John and went to Stanford. <laughs> um, I think there's been statistics about like there's more men named John in venture capital than there are, you know, people of color. So um I think recruiting people with diverse backgrounds into check writing roles at venture capital firms is going to go a long way towards diversifying the perspectives of those decision makers and of those conversations around who should get funding and and even just sourcing those deals and kind of improving the outlook of who's in the pipeline. Um, in terms of diverse founders, so I think that's that would be my big call to action for any investors who are listening today.
0: How many companies so far has Discovery Fund invested in, uh, and and then
1: on the heels of that, what does the future look like for this fund, or what stages of that? We have been very busy. We're definitely trying to, you know, put our money where our mouth is. So we've invested in about eighteen companies um, in a year and a half, which is on track with our target of investing in ten to twelve companies per year. And of that portfolio, we have about 55% founders of color, 39% women founders, and 6% LGBTQ founders. Um, So now that we're a year and a half in, we have this great portfolio. We're actually looking forward to publishing our first impact report at the end of this year to highlight some of the positive outcomes that our companies are achieving for the consumers they serve. In terms of the future, we're hopeful that a number of our companies will graduate to our ventures portfolio over time. And the goal is that through our discovery fund investments, we can really get to know these founders and support their growth and scale to the point that they're ready for bigger checks from our other strategy, as well as other later stage fintech investors. Um, And in the near term, I think 2023 is going to see a lot of bridge rounds kind of probably in venture capital at large, definitely in the fintech space as companies and investors are still dealing with turbulence in the capital markets. And so I think, again, part of our, you know, thesis and part of our role is that participating in these bridge rounds is going to be really essential to support those early stage companies as they kind of continue to not quite be ready for that later stage capital, but we really want to do everything we can to support them and ensure they survive some challenging markets long enough to be successful.
0: Yeah. On on that, what do you think is your prediction of 2023 um, beyond just the bridge round needs? What else is going to happen in the fintech industry, do you suppose?
1: I mean, I think, unfortunately, a number of companies are going to go out of business. Um, I think a lot of valuation expectations are going to get reset. I think, There has been, you know, 2021 was an incredible year for entrepreneurs generally in terms of, you know, getting some really strong pricing on deals. And so I think some of that's going to correct. We've definitely seen that happen in the public markets. It takes a while. It's kind of a stage by stage process to trickle through into the private markets. Um, But I think there's also been a lot written about how really incredible companies are forged in very challenging economic times. And so I think those who are, efficient with their capital and haven't overhired or can kind of correct their headcount appropriately um you know and and just sort of like focus on getting new customers improving margins will come out very strong companies at the end of this perfect and for those that do
0: graduate out of the discovery fund and and move on to your later stage fund does that have um, the same kind of aim as far as credit union intersection
1: too? Yes. Yeah, I would say that becomes even more relevant as companies get into the later stages because we're writing larger checks. So, you know, more of our balance sheet capital is going into these companies. So We want to make sure there's a strategic tie-in. We also have a fintech solutions team at CUNY Mutual that actually... um, works with a number of our portfolio companies and helps distribute some of their products. So as those companies get into that later stage where they're really kind of ready to scale selling to credit unions, you know, we have internal resources that can support them in that.
0: You you guys really seem to have a a strong strategy that's well-rounded. I I, I appreciate all the different kind of touch points and how to think through that cadence of, of where people would fit
1: we're working on it so thank you <laughs> it's been an <laughs> a, it's been a, it's been an evolution and i think there's more to come and i am really excited about you know because i think we're unique as a corporate vc we're not just representing one customer we're representing this ecosystem of 5000 credit unions so i think there's a lot of ways we think we can add value to the companies we work with
0: you know one one next thought is just in respect to the, the stage of the Discovery Fund, um, so you've got 18 companies you've invested in so far. Do you have room for more? Or are you pretty well maxed out at this point? Have you dispersed the whole fund?
1: <laughs> no. So we have a, an annual allocation from um, CUNY Mutual Group. So we're going to continue to deploy capital into new companies. We will see what our, what our kind of human capital limit is. I mean, I think at some point we will need to hire more people uh, to help support all of these companies, but we you know we're continuing to actively look for new opportunities and see a lot of great companies in the pipeline right now.
0: That's amazing. So anybody who's listening, if they feel like they met um, the the kind of guidelines or whatnot for um, for this fund, how would they get a hold of you? What's the best way to do that?
1: I'm I, I try to be as available as possible. So I mean, you can contact me on LinkedIn. You can email me. My email is my name, elizabeth.mccluskey at com. Um, we also have a contact us form on our website, which is cmfgventures.com. Um, and I, you know, I am generally kind of the first line of response when it comes to discovery fund companies. So I, I am very busy, <laughs> but I do really make my best efforts to respond to people within a couple of days of them reaching out.
0: Absolutely, and of course, people can always reach out to us, and we can make the connection uh, as well. So, uh, Elizabeth, this has been fantastic, wonderful conversation. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that you think is important for people to to know
1: and understand? I think we've covered all the bases, but I would just say, you know, send even if you are not a company that that thinks you're a fit. If you have friends or family or colleagues who you, you know are working on something, like send them my way. If there's other accelerators or investors you think might be aligned with our thesis, like I am in the, the job of kind of relationship and network building. So I'm always happy to take conversations with people.
0: Well, thank you so much. This was um, really beneficial and, and a fruitful conversation for talking specifically about women in fintech and of course um, the diversity that you guys are driving towards. So thank you so much and um, appreciate your time. Thank you. It's my pleasure. There you have it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of FinTech Brews and News. Keep up with all the content and cool stuff happening at Falls FinTech and Central Payments by checking out our website, our YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on our next episode. I'm Nikki Roby, And I'm Trent Sorby. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.